0: Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation, a Torah initiative. Today, we are looking at the 16th parak of Shmuel Bet, which comprises four mini-stories. We have two that are connected and relate to David, and then two that relate to Avshalom. We learn that David is leaving Yerushalayim, and he encounters Tziva. As you will recall, Tziva was the head servant to Shaul. After Shaul dies, all of Shaul's property is then under his control until David intervenes. And he gave all of Shaul's land to Shaul's surviving grandson, who who is Yonatan's son. We noted then that Siva, his behavior in that interaction subtly suggested that he resen- resented David's actions here, David's intervention, and that he really wanted the land for himself. And now with David on the run, Siva sees his moment, he sees his opportunity to try and reclaim what he lost. So he goes to David, and he initially presents David with this very lavish gift, uh, provisions and food for his for David's journey into exile into the wilderness. And he tells David that Mifiboshet has taken advantage of David's vulnerability. Unlike Siva, who is. Uh, a very dutifully, uh, submitted himself to David and kindly given him this gift. Mifiboshet has taken advantage of the political upheaval, and Mifiboshet is now in Jerusalem, angling for the kingship which he thinks is rightfully his. And David, perhaps won over by Tziva's gesture, and uh, perhaps always just you know suddenly uh, you know to some degree suspect of Mifiboshet as any king would be who has to contend with surviving members of the prior king's family and, and the prior king's heirs. He's, he's, he's suspect of Boshet, and so he takes Tziva's word at face value. He accepts it as true, and he immediately rules that the land that was given to Boshet should now go to Tziva. So Tziva has accomplished his objective. Uh, the mini-narrative kind of ends here, so we don't know where this goes in the long run, but we will soon re- recognize that this was a mistake, a miscalculation by David that Siva is not operating in good faith. Uh, but even in this Perak, the next narrative is almost like the instantaneous punishment for David's behavior here, because what we find immediately following this, the next mini-narrative, is Shimi ben Gera, the next person who comes and encounters David on his, on his march into exile. Um, he, Shimi ben Gera is from the tribe of Binyamin, That means he has this natural affinity for Sha'ul, natural sympathy for Sha'ul, who is himself from Binyamin. And he comes and this Shimi bin Gera curses David and he throws rocks at him. He throws dirt at him and he disgraces David. And he says that David is responsible for Sha'ul's death and the death of Sha'ul's family, which is not true. Um, And then a kind of familiar story unfolds. One of David's generals, Avishai, Turns to David and says, "Are you going to just take that insult? I'm going to go and kill that man." And David says, "No." David accepts the curses that Shimi is pronouncing as having been a kind of punishment from Hashem. They're coming from on high, and he holds uh, he holds Avishai back from exacting any sort of revenge, which I think reflects tremendous faith in Hashem, David seeing all this in a in a in a very lofty way, and it also expresses David's humility, a sense of penitence. And of course, just great self control. So this is a, a, I think, a shining moment for David, even as it is a low moment for him. It's, it's really both at the same time. It's important to note, though, that later on, David will hold Shimi Ben Gera to account for what he did here. When he's passing the reins over to Shlomo, he tells him that this Shimi Ben Gera deserves a great punishment. And I think that the the, the two, these two forces, the these two, um, these two opposite. Reactions on one hand, David accepts this and sees Shimi Ben Gaira as the vehicle of Hashem, and at the same time, he also holds him to account. Later on, kind of takes us into the really complex questions of this sefer. And one of the, I think one of the key uh, theses and and messages of the sefer re- relating to where free choice starts and stops, and and when do we see things as being uh, the product of Hashem coming from from Hashem, and when do we see it as coming from from human hands? And to my mind. Being able to see things on both levels is really one of the great um, messages, one of the essential messages of really all of, of Nevi'im and, and certainly everything that we've seen so far. I think we could even summarize the most essential Uh, messages of the Svarim that we've learned as follows. Yehoshua and Shoftim are meant to teach us that success and failure in international affairs, when we get attacked by another nation or when Bnei Yisrael attacks another nation, whether that succeeds or fails, that hinges on our loyalty to Hashem. Nations don't just defeat us because they're militarily superior or vice versa. They beat us because we are failing or we succeed because we are succeeding in a spiritual, religious, and moral sense. That's the essential message of Yehoshua and Shoftim, right? We never learn that another nation attacks us because we had control over a particular resource that was very scarce in the, let's say, Moab's land. No, we sin and then Moab comes, right? It's it's about being able to see international uh, encounters through a spiritual lens. And I think that that same message then gets extended in Sefer Shmuel to matters of national importance, to the most important national institutions like the monarchy the priesthood the ark the temple they also live and die based on our the nation or the king's spiritual well-being and when they get destroyed or either through political strife internally or from externally from the plishton, whatever the case may be when when the mishkan is destroyed or when the the, the kingship is lost that also has that that hinges that's an outgrowth of whether The people or the king are following the correct spiritual path. Those are the glasses that were being given, the tools that were being handed to sort through these important historical events. And I think with the story of David and Bathsheba and its aftermath, uh, the the message gets extended even further. And that is that not only are international and even important national matters. Uh, dealt with, or are their fate hang on? Are they the byproduct of our moral religious conduct? Um, but even uh, even deeply personal types of interactions, meaning uh, David uh, being able to see that uh, that that the attacks by Shimei Ben right? These very personal attacks by Shimei Ben on David, uh, that those are also the outgrowth of uh of the divine of a divine plan and the divine will and they are really the outgrowth of David's sin that's what David is recognizing here so it's like na- international national and even very personal all of that we are are we're being trained B'nai Israel are being trained in these moments and we as the readers are being trained to be able to see things with these complex lenses and seeing them both as the outgrowth of free choice right we we hold Moab accountable we hold we hold uh whomever it is accountable for, you know, Ish-boshet is held accountable for what he's done, but at the same time, we also see that uh, these things are the, are the uh, vehicle through which Hashem exacts punishment or sometimes delivers reward. So that's kind of the, I think, uh, such a critical message and one that's very much at the fore in this particular perak. Moving on to the next two mini-stories of the Perek. So the lens then shifts to Avshalom in Yerushalayim, who is with his chief advisor and fellow uh, trader to David, Achitofel. In Yerushalayim, Avshalom encounters then Hushai. We remember Hushai just a few prakam ago, he was one of David's advisors and friends and has been, uh, been told by David to stay in Yerushalayim and to be a kind of double agent, essentially to spy for David. Hushai pledges his loyalty, he goes to Avshalom, he pledges his, his loyalty, and Avshalom is correctly suspect of Hushai, but after a bit of flattery from Hushai, Avshalom is won over. And now Avshalom turns, that's, that's its own little mini-narrative that leads us into the, the final component of the parak. when Avshalom turns to Achitofel and Hushai and asks, well, what should I do now? What's my next move? How do I solidify my power? And Ahitophel responds, Hushai is silent, Achitophel tells him that he should sleep with his father's concubines. You'll recall that David had left behind concubines in Yerushalayim. It was his way of, I think, maintaining a kind of presence there, maintaining a a, a bit of a hold on on Yerushalayim. But that proves to be a a very big mistake because um, now Avshalom is going to to, to lie with these women. And, And as we've discussed in the past, Sleeping with another person's concubine is a way of demonstrating uh, that you are the heir to that person's position, to that person's uh, place and power um, in this respect that that Avshalom is heir to David's throne. So it's not just a disrespectful move, which it certainly is, but it's a very disrespectful, politically loaded move. Move. It's a it's a statement, and Avshalom is sure to make it a very public statement. Achitovel suggests that Avshalom does this in private, and that the word will get out. Avshalom goes well beyond that, and Avshalom uh, takes these women onto the roof and, in a very public way, lies with them, such as uh, such to, to to make a very broad statement that he is uh, the new king. He is the one who is in power. And all the while, Chushai, you might ask, well, you know, he's silent. Why is he silent? What's his? Why be there? Why insert yourself into these high level uh, talks if not to intervene to try to prevent this from happening? But it seems that at this point, Chushai, because he because Avshalom was suspect of Hushai, and and rightly so, so if Chushai would right away off the bat just start intervening and saying, no, I, you know, you shouldn't do that. It's not the right thing to do. So then they'll they'll immediately recognize that Chushai is not a real team player here. He's not really there for Av Shalom. And so he had to kind of stay silent and let this happen. And that will give him the the kind of social capital. It'll give him the 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 ability then in the future to intervene on more on more significant matters, which is precisely what he will do. So that's something that we should keep in mind. It's fascinating the way Hushai is there and he's silent for this and it's it's just a it's a fascinating component to how this narrative development develops. Ultimately, Avshalom's action, uh, which are of course abhorrent, uh, will uh, will will cause him to to suffer. Meaning, Avshalom's not going to get away with this, um, and and this, uh, of course, this was this was a terrible thing to happen. But it should be noted that this is exactly what Natan Hanavi foretold as a punishment for David after his sins with Bathsheba. So once again. We have this really interesting duality of humans freely choosing to behave badly and ultimately being liable for that behavior on the one hand, and on the other hand, at the same time, us recognizing that this behavior is an obvious expression of divine punishment and the divine will in this moment. So the really complex way of viewing the world, which lies at the very heart of this Sefer and indeed much of Nach. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.